We are in the Gospel of John, chapter 7. Again, if you're just visiting with us, haven't been here for a while, this is your first time. We're going through the Gospel of John together. And, uh, and really today is kind of a turning point in the gospel in that the first seven chapters are really laying this foundation um, to present Jesus to us as the Messiah. Like all the proof, all that, that Jesus did um, that, would, that would identify him as the Messiah. When we say that word, what we mean is that the Old Testament, all of your Old Testament is pointing towards and promising one who is to come. And so that one who is to come was called the Messiah. And so for the nation of Israel, they had been waiting and looking for this one who was to come for thousands of years, okay? And so John, the gospel writer, is introducing Jesus to us saying, this is him. And here's all the reason why you need to believe that this is him, the one that the scriptures have pointed towards. And so what's going to happen today is um, there's been this growing kind of hatred and angst and animosity between the religious leaders, uh, the Pharisees, the scribes, uh, you know, the biblical scholars, and Jesus. Because these crowds who previously followed these religious leaders and listened to them and, 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 and obeyed their instruction, we're now turning to follow Jesus and listen to him. And so these scribes and Pharisees are like, wait a second, who's this guy? I mean, he doesn't even have a seminary degree. Who is this guy that you were following? And so this hatred had turned into a plot to arrest Jesus and to kill him. So last week in chapter 7 of John, we looked at this theme of God's divine timetable. And we were looking at how the specific moments in Jesus' life, those small decisions, were part of this larger narrative that God was unfolding. One of the indications was the soldiers coming to arrest Jesus. He's like, hey, I know you're here to arrest me. I'm just gonna, it's not going to go down today. And, and here's why it's not going to go down. Because it's not time yet. My time has not yet come. Uh, Jesus' brother's like, Jesus, it's time to go public. It's time to go to the, to the feast in Jerusalem and let everybody know who you are. And Jesus said, no, guys, my time has not yet come. And so we focused on God's divine timing for Jesus' life and how it was the unfolding of this huge meta-narrative in the Bible and talked about how our stories are like that too. Not just the easy moments, not just the good moments, but even the hard moments are part of God's unfolding narrative for our lives. So today what we're gonna focus on in the same chapter is this identity of Jesus as the Messiah. We're going to pick this up in verse 14. So Jesus is now at Jerusalem. He's come to the Feast of Booths a little bit later than everybody else. We'll pick this up in verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Now, again, we see this reiteration of the timing of things. Jesus' brothers, they want to be there for the opening of the Feast of Booths, this big party, like this huge week-long Thanksgiving where we camp out in tents, and we're just going to celebrate the goodness of God. You've got to go with us, Jesus, and, and let everybody know who you are. And he said, no, you guys go ahead. And then he comes quietly behind them privately into Jerusalem. And so it's about the middle of the week, the middle of the feast, now Jesus begins to teach. And it says that the Jews marveled at his teaching. So it wasn't that they disputed that his teachings were accurate. It's actually the opposite of that. They were marveling at the authority and how profound his teachings were. They're like, Who, where did this guy come from? Like, listen to what he's saying. Like, how does he know this much about the Old Testament and about, and about God? And they began to marvel at what, but what he was saying. So as they were listening, he says something, though, that they didn't like. 
See, he knew in the back of his mind, he knew that the Jews that were marveling at his teaching also were planning on killing him. And they had sent soldiers, they had dispatched temple soldiers to this, uh, to arrest Jesus. And so he knows about this plot to kill him. And look at what he says in verse 19. He says this, he says, has not Moses given you the law? And yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Now here's what's profound about that. When Jesus refers to the law of Moses, he's referring to either the first five books of your Bible, which contains the Ten Commandments, or he's just referring to the Ten Commandments, the actual written law of Ten Commandments. Okay, so he could be referring to, again, Genesis chapter two, what was the law? Don't eat from this tree, or you will surely what? Die. Fast forward to the Exodus, and God gives the Ten Commandments, and what is the penalty for breaking God's law? You die. If you break God's law, you deserve to die. And see what he's pointing out here? He's like, hey guys, like you have the law of Moses, and yet none of you keeps it, so why are you trying to kill me? Like, I should be trying to kill you, like if we're gonna be honest here. And of course, none of it, nobody wanted to hear that. This is the same thing that, that the apostle Paul points out in Romans chapter three. Uh, if you're familiar with this verse, um, here it is. For all have sinned, what does that mean? Broken God's law. Everybody has broken God's law and has fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by the gift of, the, of his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. So think about the irony of that moment. You guys are here to kill me, yet you're the ones who have broken the law. And not only that, I'm getting ready to go die to redeem you. Now you see what Jesus is pointing out here? You guys are after me to arrest me, to put me to death, and yet actually you are the ones who've broken God's law. But guess what? I'm not gonna come kill you. Instead, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what? I'm gonna die myself. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna bear the burden of breaking God's law. I'm gonna take it on myself. I'm gonna die in your place that what? You might be redeemed and forgiven. Now, that's crazy, isn't it? That already Jesus is planning on dying for his enemies. And so here as he's teaching in the temple about the middle of the week, he just points it out. Guys, I know you're here to kill me, but here's the crazy thing. You're actually the ones who've broken God's law. Now, verse 37 Let's look at what is going to happen because so, so as the feast is unfolding, this feast of booths, um, what would happen on the last day of the feast um, in the assembly of the people is that they would have a time of solemn assembly. So that would be like the equivalent of a modern day like moment of silence, but they would have a whole service like that, just real quiet, real solemn. But this was the last day of the festival, okay? And look at what Jesus does on the last day, 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. So not only is this the last day, it's like the, the mountaintop of the week. He's in the temple. Instead of solemn assembly, what's he doing? He's crying out. I've got a message. I have something to proclaim that you need to hear. And so he proclaims this profound message. He cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he's proclaiming two things. If anybody is thirsty, come to me. 
And whoever comes to me or believes in me will have what? Living water flowing from within. Now the two things that he's proclaiming here are really powerful. And I love the word imagery that Jesus is using. Not only is it like putting the gospel in very simple terms, but I think it teaches us something that is profound about the gospel itself. And I start with when Jesus says, come to me, anybody who is thirsty, that reference um, harkens back for hundreds of years to the prophet Isaiah who was talking about this Messiah, right? The, The Old Testament proclaims what? A Messiah is coming. And one of the things that we're told about this Messiah who would come is in Isaiah 55. Listen to the invitation starting in verse 1. Isaiah 55, 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Doesn't that sound familiar? And Jesus is saying, hey, hey, the waters, come. Anyone who's thirsty, come to me. But then look at what the prophet Isaiah adds. And he who has no money, come. Buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Now, what Jesus is talking about and what the prophet Isaiah is talking about, he's talking about the thirst and the hunger of our souls. He's talking about that deep angst within that nothing can, can touch, that, that, that place where when you lay your head down on your pillow at night, you know something is missing, and you spent the whole day trying to fill it, trying to fix it, and, and it's still there, right? That desperate place where, where shame and, and, and where loneliness and right, that desperation that you feel in your soul, the word picture that Jesus is using is that is the thirst and the hunger of your souls, And I I love what Isaiah says here because who did he invite to come and to eat this choice food and to drink this choice drink? He who has no money. Like that is so important to understand. Isaiah's not saying, hey, he who has the strength to get his life together, come to me and I'll help you. What is he saying? He's saying, no, no, no. This invitation is for those of you who can't get your act together, who can't fix the brokenness within who can't find this this quench for your thirst and the hunger of your soul, that's who I'm inviting to come to me. Right, so the the, the idea of like, you know what, yeah, I really need to go to church, but I've gotta get some things together first. Maybe maybe you've said that, or you've heard somebody say that. No, you're right, I gotta start going to church, but, but I gotta get this stuff in order first. Well, Jesus is saying, and Isaiah is saying, listen, no, the invitation is for the person who's saying, I can't get this stuff together. And what Jesus is saying, okay, cool, come to me. Come, anyone who is thirsty. Yes, everybody has sinned. Everybody has fallen short of the glory of God, and that's who the invitation is for. Come, come to me. I love that he says, come to me. Because so many times we make this idea of being a Christian about our head knowledge. If I can just learn enough theology, if I can just get all my questions answered, then I'll feel secure, like I'll get to go to heaven. And and what Jesus is saying in a very personal way is the invitation to salvation is the invitation to a relationship. Jesus didn't just say, hey, come to the knowledge that will get you into heaven or, or come to the temple and that'll get you into heaven. Jesus says, what? no, 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 come to me. Anyone who is thirsty, come to me. Anyone, Jesus? Like, I mean, I've got, like, there's a lot of baggage coming with me, and Jesus is like, yeah, 
especially you. You be first in line. The invitation is for those who don't have money to buy food, those who don't have money for drink. Those are the ones I'm inviting to come. Anyone who is thirsty, come to me. And then, and then I love this part of the gospel. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and do what? Drink. Like that sounds so simple, doesn't it? This, this is essentially what Jesus is saying. Come to me, come to me, anyone who wants to come to me and take what I am offering you and you'll have it. Isn't that so simple? Like, what else? Nothing else. Come to me, anyone who is thirsty, and do what? Take what I am offering, and it's yours. Okay, well then what? What do I have to do on the backside? Like, what are, you, what are you gonna ask of me next week? Are you gonna make me move to Africa? Am I gonna have to live in a hut, Jesus? Am I gonna have to sell all my stuff? Am I gonna have to? No. Come to me, and do what? And drink. Anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. You, you sense the profound theology of what Jesus is saying? So simple that the youngest child can understand it. Come to me and drink. Now the second thing he proclaims here is, is this understanding of what the Holy Spirit is going to do. So he says, whoever believes in me, okay, so that's helpful. So what does he mean, come to me and drink? And Jesus says, here's what that means. Believe in me. Come to me, believe in me, and then what happens? As the scripture has said. Now that phrase is important because Jesus is telling us, I'm not making up something new here. And so you imagine the room's full of all these religious leaders who like know the Bible and they're like listening for him to make some mistakes. And he's like, hey guys, I'm, this is nothing new. Go read your Bible. Like, right, this is what the scripture says. This is not a new teaching. As the scripture has said, what? Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, before we, before we get into well, what does he mean, like, John's gonna give us some, like, commentary, isn't he? He's gonna tell us what he means. Here's what he says. Now, he's, this he said about the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit has not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And this is, again, a reference to the unfolding of God's plan. What was God's plan? God's plan was for, for Jesus to go to the cross, to die in our place, in the place of the Roman soldiers, in the place of the Pharisees, in the place of all who had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And not only that, he was gonna resurrect. The plan was for him to resurrect on the third day, to ascend back to the Father, to be glorified. And then what did Jesus tell his followers? Hey, you guys go to Jerusalem and wait. Because why? Because the Holy Spirit's coming. You guys sit tight, you're gonna know it, the Holy Spirit is coming. And so already, John is letting us know that God's divine timetable is unfolding here. And so Jesus is proclaiming, proclaiming this gospel message, anybody who is thirsty can come to me and drink. And not only that, when you come to me and drink, the Holy Spirit of God is gonna fill you up from within, like flowing, living water. It's that idea that Jesus takes us as we are and he loves us so much that he begins to change us from within. Man, that's good news. That is such good news because every person in this room has tried to change their own behavior and failed at it, Amen. right? And we classify it, we put it on different levels and this is a little sin, this is kind of a sin, this is a big sin. No, 
We've all fallen short, and all of us are thirsty. With this thirst that we can't quench, a brokenness we can't fix. Jesus said, come to me and drink. And I'll put living water within you to, to fix your brokenness and heal your brokenness from the inside. And this is what Jesus is proclaiming on the last day of the Feast of Booths, even that was supposed to be this day of solemn assembly. Jesus is like, I got a message that's too good to keep to myself. And so he proclaims this with a loud voice. Now, what's gonna happen from here is, so chapter seven, um, after we finish this chapter, we're gonna move to chapter eight, and you're gonna see a lot more personal interactions between Jesus and other people. And, uh, and so, so far in the Gospel of John, it's been, it's been a whole lot about Jesus' interaction with crowds of people, okay? There's a few exceptions, like um, in John 3, where Nicodemus comes to him and says, Jesus, you know, what do I have to do? And Jesus says, oh yeah, you need to be born again. This is where we get John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that whoever believed in him would have eternal life and not perish. And so there's been a few personal interactions in the Gospel of John. But in chapter eight, we're gonna get more of a personal narrative of things unfolding. But keep in mind, there's this growing kind of hatred towards Jesus from the Jews, from the Pharisees. And so this is all coming to a head uh, in verse 40. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. And others said, this is the Christ or the Messiah. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? So you've got three groups of people. Now understand for the Jews, they had taken the Old Testament prophecies and they said some of these are about a coming prophet and some of these are about a coming Messiah. Okay, and so we know that John the Baptist comes to prepare the way for the Messiah and fulfills the role of that prophet who's coming to prepare the way. So now all we're looking for is the Messiah. So as Jesus is proclaiming this message, there's like three camps out in the crowd. One camp is going, oh, that's the prophet. That's the one that Malachi talks about who will come and prepare the way. The prophet's here. And some are like, wait a second. No, no, no. This guy, he's got to be the Messiah, the Christ. We think he's the Christ. And yet others were debating, could this be either one of them because of what? Where he is born. This guy was from Galilee. Now, they're going to begin to debate about this, which is interesting because verse 42 says, Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him, and some of them wanted to arrest him. Oh, but by the way, no one laid their hands on him. Why? Because his time had not yet come. But do you hear what the growing dispute is about? So they're, they're debating all these religious leaders and they've got their Old Testament out and they're like, well, could this be the prophet? I don't know, what, is it, what does the Old Testament say about this prophet? Well, maybe this is the Christ. Well, I don't know, what does the Old Testament say about the Christ? And, and they're hanging up on two points. What? If this is the Messiah, he's gotta be a descendant of David, so we're gonna need to see his pedigree. And oh yeah, by the way, he's gotta be born in David's hometown, which is Bethlehem. And so they're beginning to search the scriptures, right, to kind of debate among themselves whether or not this could be the one. Well, look at what happens next, verse 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees. Now, who are the officers? These are the temple guards. Okay, so are you getting a mental picture? So there's the temple, Jesus is teaching, big crowd of people. In the back are the temple guards, a few Pharisees are listening in. But somewhere in Jerusalem, kind of in a private setting, the the, the Pharisees were together. 
They were plotting. They sent the temple guards. Well, so now the temple guards come back to the Pharisees to give a report. And look at what, what happens. They, this is what they say to the, to the uh, guards. Why did you not bring him? What went wrong? Why did you not arrest him? And they said, the officer said, no one ever spoke like this man. These guys are defying authority right here. This is a big deal. Think about that. These guards were dispatched to arrest Jesus. He's like, hey, I know you're here to arrest me, but it's not going to go down today because my time hasn't come. So while you're here, let me just tell you about the gospel. If anybody's thirsty, come to me. Anybody who comes to me and believes in me will have this living water that wells up from within. And the guards are hearing this and they're like, whoa. And so they go back to the Pharisees defying orders and the Pharisees are like, what, what's happening? Why didn't y'all arrest him? And they say, because no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Now, here's what's about to go down. I'm gonna paint the picture. So the Pharisees knew the crowds were following Jesus and listening to his teachings. So the, the, the soldiers come back and they're like, did you guys buy into what he's selling? Are you telling me he brainwashed you too? And so whoever kind of the chief priest is or the spokesman on the group, he's gonna about to step up and he's gonna ask a question of the Pharisees. Have any of you guys believed in him? Now think about it. Who is in this crowd? Nicodemus from John chapter three, who came to Jesus in private. Look at how this unfolds. The Pharisees answer them, have you also been deceived? And then verse 48, have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? But the crowd, verse 49, but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. So the Pharisees are saying, listen, you guys know the law. You know the Bible. Are you telling me some of you are believing in him? Verse 50, <laughs> Nicodemus who had gone to him before and was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Which I'm gonna give Nicodemus half credit here, <laughs> right? He's not on the crowd of crucify him, right? But he's also not saying, oh yeah, I believed in him. He's saying, hey, I went to him in person and had a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Have any of y'all done that? And then what does he say? Because here's the deal. The law requires that if we're going to condemn somebody, it, it's got to be proven that they're guilty. So he's like halfway taken up for Jesus. He's got one foot in. He's not all the way in, right? But at least he's not with the Pharisees. The rest of them are pushing back wholeheartedly. He's saying like, guys, have you given him a fair shot? And then look at what the Pharisees say to Nicodemus. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So they are essentially condemning Nicodemus and saying, what, are y'all hometown buddies? Is that what it is? Are y'all from the same place? And he's brainwashed you? But keep in mind, the point of contention here is where Jesus is born, right? Isn't that the thing that, that they're hung up on? Descendant of David? Well, yeah, I guess he is if you look at his lineage, yeah, he's a descendant of David, but come on, he was born in Galilee. And here's the thing, they dispatch one another to do what? To search the scriptures to try to prove that Jesus is not the Messiah. What's interesting is that if they'd have just went to Jesus and asked, hey, where were you born? They're not doing that, are they? If they'd have gone, like look at Matthew chapter two with me, and these will be the last verses we read today. Matthew chapter two, verse one. 
Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews, the Messiah, the Christ? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And, he, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, oh, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. And that's a quote from your Old Testament from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Just one of the hundreds of prophecies about this Messiah. So like, they were aware of where Jesus was born. Like King Herod was aware of where Jesus was born. And yet they're hung up on this idea that he was somehow born in Galilee. Could have just went and said, hey Jesus, where were you born? You were born in Bethlehem? Interesting. Hey guys, he's meeting all the criteria. Could this be the Messiah? But instead, they're not out to prove Jesus, they're out to disprove Jesus. And so we circle back around to this profound message on the last day of the festival where Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty. Let me just ask you something this morning. Are you thirsty? Like your soul thirsty? There's something going on in your heart, something going on in your life that, that lacks resolve, that lacks peace, lacks healing. Maybe, maybe an identity issue. Maybe it's a shame issue. Maybe there's a, a broken relationship issue you've got. The invitation is, is so simple from Jesus. If anybody is thirsty, if anybody's soul is in need, come. Yeah, but Jesus, I don't, I don't, I don't have my life together. No, no, no. I'm talking to the people who have no money, <laughs> who have no spiritual currency, who have no moral currency. Come. Are you broke spiritually? Come. And here's the good news. Come and take what I offer and listen, you will have it. Oh, the effort we go to to make it more complicated than that, don't we? Guys, we are so many times, we are more like the Jews and the Pharisees in this narrative than we are the crowd of people listening to Jesus' words, taking him at his word, believing the gospel to be true. If, If you're here today and, and like you've never taken a step of faith to trust in Jesus as your Messiah, your Savior, your King, your Redeemer. Like the invitation is a personal invitation. He's not inviting you into a relationship with me first or this church first. He's inviting you into a relationship with Him. This is what we call being saved. This is what we call salvation. Right? He's saying, hey, come to me, don't go to anybody else. Don't go to the pastor, don't go to the elders, don't go to your community group leader, don't go to your grandma, don't go to your parents, come to me. Because they can't fix you. Amen. They can't quench that thirst that you're feeling. Come to me. Well, that's you and you're here today, you're like, I've never trusted in Jesus as my savior. I'm telling you, like, do that before you leave. What do I need to do? You need to come to Jesus. <laughs> you can do that like staying in your seat while we're singing. You could come grab one of our pastors and we would love to talk with you about that. I want to talk to everybody else as well. 
we, we talk often in here about next steps, and you hear us give the spiel, hey, if you're ready to take a next step, fill out this card and go to your app and do all that. Like, we do that because we believe that Jesus is calling you to a next step too. The gospel isn't just an invitation to be saved, it's an invitation to be completely redeemed. And so we know that as we open his word, he speaks to all of us. And so like, whatever he's saying to you, there's a next step of faith for you to take. Like seriously, would you take that next step today? Again, grab a pastor, let us talk with you. We'll hang out down here at the front. Get on your app if, if, if that, that's just too like, intimidating. Send us a, a message, send us an email, let us know so we can set up a time to talk with you and be a part of you taking that next step of faith. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's becoming a member. Maybe it's just getting more committed to church. Like whatever it is, maybe it's stepping into counseling. Like whatever that next step is, let us know so we can be a part of helping you take that next step of faith. Because listen, the same thing that's required of you to come for salvation is required for any other step of faith. Nothing. (laughs) Only that you would believe. So I'm gonna pray to that end today that um, whatever God is speaking to you, you would take that step of faith. And as we do, our worship team's gonna come forward our pastors will be down here at the front at the very end, which we dismiss. We, we hang around up here for you. So we honored to just talk with you, pray with you about anything going on. Well, let's pray together and worship team, you guys come on up. Uh, Father, we thank you for this powerful and yet simple gospel proclamation from Jesus. This beautiful, <laughs> hard to believe invitation that anybody can come. Like that's just hard for us to grasp, God. Because in every other arena of our life, People require things of us to be accepted. But what Jesus is telling us today is that he requires nothing of us to be accepted. We can be spiritually broke, we can be morally bankrupt, and the invitation is just to come and to take what he offers and and just have it. So Father, we thank you for that today, and I pray right now for every person in this room, every person at home watching or listening. God, as your spirit moves and speaks that we would respond in faith. God, we want to be known as a church that believes. We want to be known as a church that that walks by faith. And that sounds so good and so cliche, God, but the reality is that steps of faith are hard steps to take. So we want to be known as a church that takes the hard steps, a church that trusts in you, believes in you. So Father, whatever your calling each person in this room, each person at home to do today. We pray right now your Holy Spirit will grant us the faith to take that next step. We pray all this in the name of the one who died for our sins, in the name of Jesus, amen.